Welcome to devmode.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. I'm Jonathan Melville from MDD in Atlanta. And I'm Michael Rogg from Top Shelf Craft in Texas. And today we are talking about Neutrino, or how I learned to stop worrying and love Webpack. And we have on uh, Eli Perlman, the uh, project lead. Welcome, uh, Eli. Thank you very much. And we also have Tim Kelty, who's uh, notable in the craft CMS community and also a contributor to Neutrino. Hello. Thanks for having me. And Tim, you are also the one that I am going to blame if my trip down Neutrino Lane ends up horribly. Okay, because you yep, got <laughs> that's that's fair. I pushed you down it, so that's cool. But we're we're talking about Neutrino and my kind of summary of Neutrino, um, and I would love to hear uh, from Eli or Tim if this is terrible, um, but it's sort of a way to do zero configuration webpack builds using um, off-the-shelf composable uh, configurations that you can kind of just chain together, right? Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, the whole point of Neutrino is to like you said, quit worrying about your Webpack configuration. And uh, I guess the popular thing right now is let's let's have zero configuration to get your project up and running. And then if you need to make configuration in the future, we provide a nice API for you to be able to still do that. So you get the benefits of all of the features that you get with Webpack, but you don't have to suffer in having your configuration black boxed if you decide to use the configurable presets. Yeah, so let's let's take a step back here, and you know, I, everyone's probably familiar with with Webpack, and believe me, we're going to get into the the nitty gritty with Neutrino because we have a, a vested interest. We want to be using this on some upcoming projects. Um, but in general, you know, we use build systems because, first of all, web development has long ago ceased being editing some HTML and some CSS, and you're a web developer you are now actually doing like quote unquote real development stuff. Um, and it gets really, really complicated. And to manage that complexity, we create tooling, right? Just like there was a thing. It was in 1976 that the make tool was made for Unix by a guy named Stuart Feldman. And the goals then were very similar to the goals today, a way to deterministically build stuff to translate it from one form into another so that we could actually use it somewhere. And there are lots of tools that people are using to do this. You know, there are GUI tools like WebKit and Prepos and that kind of thing. Um, there's also Grunt and there's Gulp and there's Webpack and there's Parcel and, you know, probably five more came out during the time that I was talking about this. Like, you know, the JavaScript world is kind of crazy, but... Really, the, the idea behind these things is that the web is a build target, right? What we're writing stuff in may bear little or no resemblance to the way that it actually is then served up in the browser, right? Like we could be writing 
our JavaScript in ES6 or TypeScript, or we could be using for CSS, we could be using SAS or Less or Tailwind and our HTML could be Jade Pug and, you know, whatever. The way that we're authoring this stuff can be very different than the way that it is actually served up. And if you think about it, you know, the web is then kind of a build target and these various formats like HTML, CSS, and um, ES5 JavaScript are kind of like a neutral um, API-ish thing that this all of this stuff we're authoring gets boiled down to. Um, and it's going to become even more the case when things like WebAssembly uh, come along where I can take C or Rust or JavaScript or a number of other languages, compile it down to a neutral bytecode, and that's what then gets served up, right? So I think, and I would love to hear, you know, um, Eli or, or Tim, your thoughts on this, but the reason for all this tooling, and I know it's really overwhelming to a lot of web developers, but the reason for all this tooling is what we're doing now has become much more complicated than it used to be, and we need some kind of tools to, to manage this stuff. Does that, that all sound kind of reasonable, Eli? Yeah, I think that sounds totally reasonable. Uh, something I try to make clear to a lot of people is working in software engineering is all about a game of trying to balance trade-offs. Um, and Neutrino is trying to make specific trade-offs for you. You're right, developing for the web does get increasingly more complex as you know, we learn more things and we want to do more powerful things and yep. we don't want to rely on old things. Um, you don't have to have a build tool to still be a web developer and write powerful apps. You don't have to do that. But as you want to add more complexity into the situation, you want to be able to do more powerful things and do things like minification and source maps and all sorts of uh, like transpilation with Babel and whatnot, linting. Uh, these are tools that, you know, they don't play well together and you would like tooling to help solve some of those situations for you. And so, yes, you trade in a little bit of complexity um, to be able to do all these different things, but the trade-offs you get in the long run uh, are beneficial. You know, you can right. produce smaller app sizes or have gzipped content. Uh, all, you know, there's so many possibilities and having tooling that plays well together in this process just makes managing those dependencies a lot easier. Yeah, and this is stuff that in theory, right? In theory, you could do this yourself. Like if you really wanted to, absolutely. Um, but why not let computers do what they're good at? They're really, really good at you at taking some source ingredients like a recipe and running it through a recipe in a process and then spitting out something at the end. And that's kind of how I think about what we're doing here is that with these build tools, we're essentially building recipes and processes, right? So that we, like a baker, can make sure that every time that we make a cupcake, it's going to be right and it's going to taste the same and it's going to be awesome, right? Um, and that's really kind of what we're doing here. And Webpack is one of the many tools um, that people use for building stuff. And it's become increasingly popular as the JavaScript world has just exploded, right? It used to be um, that you could uh, you know, throw a little jQuery on there and you'd, do, you'd be doing all sorts of fancy stuff. But nowadays, the power that you get from frameworks like Vue and React and you know any number of, uh, of other ones, Preact, is just awesome. And lots of people want to use it. Um, but tools like Webpack really, really make it easier to use those things because they, they take care of the complexity of bundling up all of this stuff 
and then also loading it on the front end. Um, and I, like I mentioned, uh, I've used Gulp and Grunt and uh, other tools to do this in the past, and they work great. You know, they're, they're more of a kind of programmatic thing. But when you start doing more and more with JavaScript, the benefits that you get from something like Webpack um, really start to make it worth looking into um, because you just don't have to worry about building stuff when you're adding a new JavaScript, right? You just require it and you just let Webpack sort it out. And you take care of the, the tree shaking and the, the module loading and the bundling and all that kind of good stuff. But Webpack is kind of intimidating to people. Right, because it's kind of complicated, and it also is. I've said in the past that it's a black box. It's not really true because the docs are all out there, but it's less apparent what's actually going on until you dive deep into it than it is in something procedural like Gulp, where you can see every step. Right, you really have a config, you set the config, and you just kind of hope that it works. Right, so I think Webpack can be. A little intimidating to some people. Have you guys run into that? Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, so I think that like the thing that people fight a lot with these with these build tools is um, that you know things like Grunt and Gulp. They're like you said, it's just like it's a layer on top of the code that you're already writing. Right. And when you're using like a you know a modular bundler like Webpack. Um, it's more, uh, you know, your your app is defined by your dependencies, and you know, you're actually all your assets and everything are being required. And you know, if if there's an image that's not there, it's gonna fail. And so, right. it's a lot more reliable and um, just like the definition of what your app is is kind of uh, more integrated with the tooling. Well, it's not just the bundler, right? I mean, like I use I use Gulp, which is great for bundling and building stuff. But my, and, I, and I've used Webpack for some projects too, but kind of my uh, line in terms of which makes sense for me to use is if I'm really going to benefit from the loader part of it as well. Um, because that's a big part of what Webpack does is it does an end-to-end -end thing where not only does it bundle your stuff for you, but everything's a loader and it will just load stuff for you. you right. Know? Which, when you're using more and more JavaScript uh, and more and more front-end frameworks, that becomes almost essential. I mean, you can do it with Gulp, but it's just not fun. Um, but let's just do a quick survey. So, uh, Patrick, like, what front-end build tools uh, have you used and are you using currently for most of your projects? Yeah, I, I started off, um, you know, you had mentioned uh, the old CodeKit type things at one point. <laughs> That's your favorite, right? You're the CodeKit. Oh, code I kit. love CodeKit. You're, no. you're the CodeKit uh, guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I used to use code kits, how I kind of got in, into minification and doing it ahead of time rather than on the server or with a plug-in. Yep. Uh, you know, then got into Grunt, um, but just as soon as I picked up Grunt, Gulp was really picking up traction. Yep. Um, I've played around with, uh, I think it was Laravel Elixir for a little while, then become Mix. Yep. Um, I, I looked at the documentation for Webpack and then I cried. <laughs> um, it was just too much for me to get into. Uh, so I'm interested in Neutrino. I want to learn more. I, I, you know, we'll talk about this more. I yeah. got in and used like the create project setup and yep. just doing that and only that it, it almost, I'm like, Oh, why don't I just use Yeoman if I'm just going to get like a quick little setup? Right. Um, I didn't understand the value. And as I dig further, I think there's a whole lot more there. So that's we'll, really what we'll I'd like get to into that. Today. I can see Eli is like dying to, to, 
to comment on that. But <laughs> I like, just no, don't stop with create project. Like, yeah, but I, I just kind of want to get an overview of where people <laughs> yeah, are at yeah. on this. So, Jonathan, how about your yourself in terms of these kind of front end build tools? I mean, I I fought it for a while. I, I don't know if anybody else agrees with this or not, but like if you think back a couple of years ago, to me, front end development has is less fun than it used to be in some aspects because it's not like you can just jump in, you know, and start working on your project. Oh, you've got to, you know, you've got to set up your config and you've got to, you know, run NPM and pull it on all your packages and then get all your, your build configured correctly and everything. And it seems less fun, but by the same token, like there's really no other way to do it now, especially if you're um, working with like, JavaScript uh, modules, let's say. I mean, these things have to be bundled up. Right. Um, even other things that Webpack does, like bundling of assets in your CSS, or if you're doing things like inserting your CSS in your JavaScript as part of your JavaScript modules. Well, what, so, what, you're, what you're saying reminds me of a, <laughs> an article that I tweeted out called "Everything Easy is Hard Again," and there's a quote. Yes. From, there's a quote. It's from, exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of, actually. Yes. And there's a quote from it that says, "Simply npm your Webpack via Grunt." With yep. Vue, Babel, or Bower to React, and then just right. someone slammed their head on the keyboard. Which it's is- for, that's exactly what I'm thinking of. <laughs> but but by the same token, like we we're really at a point now where if you're doing modern web development, you yeah. you really don't have a choice. You have wow. to embrace these tools, and I would argue you really probably should be embracing Webpack. Yeah, um, and it's it's gonna uh, get like here's the thing like. It's going to get better from the point of view of there's going to be tooling that comes out that makes it a little easier. But how, however, complex things are sometimes complex, right? And there's as web development becomes more complex, that's just going to be kind of part of the deal and part of the game. And yeah. and it's important but, to understand that we're not using these tools to be like the cool kid that's using you know the the latest new tool. We're using right. them to save time so that we can make better work and and do our projects better. I mean that's really what the goal is here. Right. Right. So then with every tool, you got to evaluate, you know, is the the time that I'm spending learning this thing worth the payoff in terms of what it's going to save me, not just now, but down the road? Because like we've talked about uh, before, I really think that kind of the uh, low or mid end developers who are like designers that learn some HTML, learn some JavaScript, learn some CSS. I think they're going to be in danger of losing their job because people are going to use services like Wix or you know, Webflow or whatever to build those simple pages. And the, the people that or the skills that you're going to need are kind of these more engineering-esque things. I mean, it's really kind of what it seems like to me. But uh, Michael, how about yourself in terms of the, the build tools? That uh, What is your build tool journey? We know you have a CS license. You're a computer scientist. Do you have your credentials with you today? <laughs> Uh, sort of, yeah. I mean, it's a, All right. a Friday of Lent, so it's a, a tamer CS credential okay. than T- usual. Today, his credentials are a fine glass of red wine. We're, we're going, <laughs> uh, it's, it's going with goji berry juice today, I'm, actually. Oh, it's goji juice. Uh, wow. You know, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if you have the proper credentials to talk uh, about. I guess uh, half half because it's Lent and half in honor of, of uh, the Chinese New Year. We're going, going goji berry Shenyan today. Um, so, I... I mean, my build tool or uh, automation journey starts, you know, circa 1997 when, you know, we were using server-side includes to concatenate different files in hopes of, you know, saving ourselves from having to um, 
you know, update things in all kinds of places and, and try to make things more modular. And, you know, from there, um, I became a big fan of, of Gulp. Um, first Grunt, but very quickly Gulp, um, and really pushed Gulp to its limits um, as it kind of matured. Um, but I'm, I'm on the Webpack train, man. Um, uh, flirted with uh, Browserify for a while, um, but uh, I'm I'm firmly on the Webpack train. I mean, in the Wild West days of the web, um, I think we sort of looked at the craft of web development from a perspective of scripting. Um, that's kind of you know where it came from. Um, the the early server side stuff, you know, Perl and PHP. The the early like JavaScript in, in Netscape um, uh, had sort of this scripty feel. It didn't feel like right. we were developing software, um, and we didn't need to be, right? The browsers right. couldn't handle it, and the right. products that we were building didn't need it, the clients that we were building for. Um, but now, you know, with uh, everything from banking to healthcare to transportation to, um, you know, communication, all, you know, being uh, dependent on the web, we really are having to kind of um, pick up our, our brass rings as engineers and, and get serious about this craft of, of software development. And so it, um, you know, I think the evolution of um, build tools sort of mirrors that transition in the industry. You know, like Gulp is, is not a build tool. It's a task runner. Uh, and we can sort of make build sure. tools out of it by telling it what tasks to run um, but, but then we, we reach a point where that becomes really cumbersome and the sort of ease of getting into, you know, a tool with a shallower learning curve like Gulp is quickly outpaced by having to deal with the complexity that we are then right. layering on top of it in order to get it to do these really complex things that we want. And so, um, you know, what? I see Webpack as I, I thought your, your, uh, throwback to to make was you know really appropriate because i think webpack is like the first true build tool um for for the web and that makes me really excited um i i, I think you know i worry um that people coming to the craft now um I have no idea how anyone. Well, it's picks not. Up it's not what it once was. Like you're, you know, you're it's not so gonna be, complicated now. Yeah, you're not um, going to be a designer. Um, oh, you yeah. can be. You can be a designer, but you're probably going to have to have a developer that works along with you. And I th look, I, I think totally so. get it. I my, think that's okay. My, I think that's okay. My first experience with any of these kind of build tools was actually using Make. Right. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I came from the school of we use C, C then Objective C, and if you were writing anything in um, in PHP or Perl or JavaScript, even like you were playing with kid toys, right? I mean, because back that back in the day, they kind of were, but that is not the case anymore. Like that has changed drastically, and we have some serious development that is going on in in all of these worlds. So let's yeah. we, we babbled I, I, I on. Really, and, hold on, hold on, excited, no, no, hold on, hold on. We babbled on enough. Let's. We got two really smart guys with us here. Let's pick their brains. We've given a, a decent background about build systems, and everyone knows our biographies and our favorite colors, and the fact that we like to sleep with teddy bears at night and all that stuff. Like Jonathan's got a BEM teddy bear he curls up with, and all that. Let's, Always. <laughs> let's talk about Neutrino. 
So we know there's this thing called Webpack. Eli, why am I going to use, what is Neutrino? Where does it fit in in this ecosystem? And, and why the hell would I use this thing? Sure. So I'm going to take a step back and also go on my own anecdotal Do little it. journey. Do it. Uh, so I come from a similar background, started doing web stuff in the 90s, um, watched the progression of build tools and grunt and gulp and whatnot. Um, and then uh, when I started at Mozilla, I took a little break from the front end um, and was doing quite a bit of node stuff and performance work. Nice. And all in all, that probably took about a year and a half uh, until I got moved to, to another area where I was back on the web doing uh, some web work. And a lot had changed in just that short time. And so just starting a new project um, and seeing how everything had changed, um, I was kind of disappointed, you know, how, you know, how the complexity had grown, um, but the tooling just, uh, the developer ergonomics around that tooling just hadn't quite improved at that point. So you're doing face palms when you looked at the state of the, the industry there. Yeah, I was yeah. disappointed. I mean, obviously things have come a long ways and, you know, I, I do believe that we did need a reset um, in order to do some of these things better, uh, in order to progress you know, the community at large. Um, but I, I still felt it was really dif difficult to do lots of different things that you wanted with the amount of configuration that you needed to do to get that stuff done. Um, and so I had started another project that was really similar to Create React App at the time. Um, but I quickly saw, you know, some of the perils of the approach I was taking um, in bundling React and a bunch of other things together. And Neutrino was my idea for how I could improve that process. Um, by making one fundamental change to the way several of the projects work, we specifically want to decouple the build process from the application. Um, and also, the tool should not dictate how it's built, but your inclusion of particular presets should dictate how it's built. Um, so if, if you've used Webpack before, you realize that at least in its current state, there's quite a bit of configuration that needs to go into it if you want to layer a lot of uh, different optimizations on top of it. Yeah, if Webpack, you want to do anything significant with it, you're not going to be just doing it out of the box with zero config. Correct. Now, obviously... Webpack 4 will change that situation and make it easier to get that start into it. But you're still going to be in the same situation where if you want all these different features layered on top of it, you're going to have to go through some kind of configuration process. Now, Neutrino was our answer, at least in Mozilla at the time, to ease the process for which we start new web projects. Um, and so we thought of the system for being able to take these configurations and uh, you basically glue them together. And at the end, you have this Webpack configuration that just starts up your project. So, so each um, Neutrino config is like a Lego block? Uh, yes, essentially. Uh, so you could take uh, you could start a new project and say, okay, I want to I want to create a new React project, or I want to create some generic web project that maybe doesn't necessarily use React. And you can include those. Um, and in the early days, uh, it worked fine for starting a new project, but uh, if you wanted to extend that configuration with any kind of customization per project, um, it was still really painful. And that's just because you know, the Webpack configuration API, it's, it's not very deterministic. You can't, you know, throw it up on uh, NPM, let's say. If you wanted to, you know, modify a Webpack, or sorry, a Babel configuration that came along with that, you know, you would, you'd 
be resorted to, you know, searching through all these objects and arrays to figure out what particular configuration object to modify. And if you wanted to glue it in with another, you know, you didn't know exactly where that was. I've lost many hours of my life doing exactly that. <laughs> yes. Now, obviously, there's tools to help with that, like Webpack Merge, but I still think they they uh, suffer from the same problem of, you know, you're just basically pushing all that off into uh, a structure that you can't consistently rely on. So if I'm hearing this right, like a, a way to summarize this would be that Neutrino is a configurator for your configuration. <laughs> like it's a config file for your config in a way. Yes. So I, I think that's that's accurate. The point of Neutrino is for you to be able to use Webpack in a distributed and composable manner. I can take... So what does composable mean for people that don't so, know? Yes. So for example, I'm going to use our React preset as an example. Our React preset is the composition of much smaller pieces of Webpack configuration middleware. And by middleware, I mean... It takes in a Neutrino API or some options, and you get to modify the Webpack configuration that you've gotten up to that point. And then it's passed off to the next piece of middleware that will make its own modifications as well. So by the time you have built up this whole React configuration, you have all these different little pieces plugged together, um, and that is essentially how you're, you're getting your initial zero configuration. So we snap these pieces together. Each... each Neutrino config is a Lego and we snap them together and we can build a house. Correct. So uh, Tim, I want to, I think there's, I think there's more there um, that I hope we can get into later, which is just the fact that we are snapping Lego blocks together is a big deal. Yes. But anybody who's been watching Webpack has seen probably thousands of like boilerplate config projects pop up. Right. And, and they solve the problem of like, okay, great. Here's a nice little piece of, functionality that you need and you don't have to dig real deep down in order to set it but this still then has the problem of like they're not really composable in that like if and and they're not really well organized in that if i wanted to go change a config that i have used on 20 projects i still have to go change 20 config files right and so like Part of what really excites me about neutrino just like uh you just said you know i can't toss it up on like npm well that's sort of the idea is, is now you can. It's like a config for your config, but it's also sort of dependency management for your config so that you can build your config with deterministic dependency trees, just like you build your app with deterministic so dependency trees. You're, you're making a really good point here about the starter projects. So that is a huge thing these days and that every framework has got its own little starter project and you can just get it up and running and it gets you started really quickly. But then when you want to extend it, you're back to just editing config files. So, I mean, Tim, how is Neutrino different? Like, why, why don't I just so, use, why don't I just use like the, uh, the view starter? Right. So, you know? um, I mean, you know, like Michael just said, the, one of the biggest things is that these middlewares are distributable, right? Which just doesn't happen with these, you know, boilerplate objects that you get. Can we call them Legos? I like Legos. We can call them Legos, yeah. (laughs) Are we allowed to say, like, not trademark issues? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, it's spelled with a Z on the end. Yeah, they're Legos. (laughs) And, I mean, like you guys are calling a config for your config. I mean, 
it, that's that that's a good way of thinking of it. I like to like it's it's kind of like an enhanced interface for right. the webpack config, which you know can be hairy as anybody that's used them knows. But it starts um, very tame though. Like it starts so innocently. Oh, it's exactly. It's, and that's like the, so, the, the webpack configs, whether it's a starter config <clears> or whatever, they start so innocently like a little child and then they turn into a raging monster as you're trying to tame those things and do anything of significance with them you know so yeah for me where where you really end up needing something like neutrino or you know webpack chain which is what neutrino uses to build these things um is it's not really just these lego blocks it's more than that because the lego blocks themselves have to know about each other so if anybody's ever tried to you know for instance have like a view loader it's not as simple as just taking out the view loader block and sticking it in your config because your view uh you know has css in it so you have to figure out how the css loader works with that and you know when you when they're not talking to each other that becomes very fragmented well the the reason i've been using the lego analogy Mm -hmm. is that i think it's going to make sense to people from the point of view of Legos are composable, right? You can take a Lego mm -hmm. and you can snap it to another Lego, right? And the the genius of the way Legos were invented is they have defined inputs and outputs, right? There are little pegs on there, and on the bottom there are little holes, right? And those are the inputs and the outputs, and you compose them together by sticking them together. And that's what you're trying to do with Neutrino, right? Instead of you know, taking your raw materials, you're giving us bigger blocks that we can just kind of snap together to build something quickly, right? Yeah. You're really going with this Lego analogy. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to get sued. <laughs> so, all right. So the idea yeah, is... What about connect? Yes, but that? also, the key is that it's not just that we can stack them on top of each other. The key is that as we stack them on top of each other, they become aware and, right. like... Oh my Each god, are you talking about sentient share, Legos? They can share <laughs> functionality. Oh um, you know, in the same way that like if you are in Vue and you're working with composable components, it's not just that you have a component that's made up of other components. The point is the child components can all like contribute and extend functionality to each other. So I think the world is gonna end because you're talking about like Skynet level self-aware. Legos that could don't just worry. take over the world. Elon Musk is Elon Musk is on top of Skynet. <laughs> we don't have to worry. All right, so great. We want to use Webpack because it's going to make building stuff easier. Neutrino sounds like something that is going to help me not just start using Webpack to make it easier to kind of start with, but also then when I want to do something a little more complex, make it easier to build on it so I don't have something that is just kind of falling over but I want to I want to kind of bring uh, Patrick into the conversation on this just to get his perspective on it because I know you know uh, both myself and Patrick and Jonathan have have talked about neutrino and taken a look at it um, and Patrick you mentioned that you looked at it but you were a little confused about where to go initially right yeah and I think part of that um, I mean I'm coming at it from the perspective of someone that is working with craft CMS I mean this is kind of a craft CMS centric uh, podcast, so I think a lot of people will be coming at it from the same angle. And Eli, I don't know how how much you know it, don't know it. Tim, you can obviously speak a little bit better, but um, you know, for me, when I, I got in, I, I and um, you know, there's a nice little installation and create a new project, uh, but it starts off um, almost. I, I felt with the notion that you know you're doing a a pure React or Vue or 
um, you know, Node.js based web app. Um, so definitely want to know, hey, what's the right way to get into Neutrino and start, you know, picking out your first Legos and snapping them together and seeing what starts to come about. You know, if you, you know, you're like, all right, I just want to get like SAS minification and image minification up to start. Is there a good way you could get in with that? Um, and yeah, and, and maybe from a, you know, someone who's working with a, not a full on node um, setup, but something that is like craft or like WordPress or anything else like that. Um, you know, how do you kind of bring those two together? So, um, yeah, that was kind of how I got introduced to like contributing to the Neutrino project because, you know, like a m year ago, months ago, whatever, um, it really was very much targeted towards that, including like the kind of the, the web preset, which is like, you know, the, the preset that everything targeted for the web is going to use essentially. Um, didn't really have a great way to, to not do an SPA type mm -hmm. uh, setup. So there are, you know, I don't know when, when you looked at it, um, but that is easier now. But I think really what, what the project needs is some starter, you know, uh, here's how you get started building mm -hmm. a server side app. Here's how you get started with this because, yeah. Yeah. um, I know I've like I've done a lot of work to make sure that stuff's all possible, but I probably haven't shared it as much as I like. Yeah, like any growing project, <laughs> right, always yeah. suffers from a lack of increasingly better documentation. Yeah, so like you know, <laughs> so yeah, Neutrino, we do have quite a bit of documentation, but yeah, I, I could agree that it probably flow a little better. Well, let me give you a, a, a pro tip: you need a marketer. <laughs> Because really, like the Neutrino homepage, if it told me the problems that it solves for me, as opposed to kind of getting a little complicated from the start, I would probably be more ambitious to dive into it. You know, like, tell me how this thing is going to make my life easier. What is it going to do for me? You I know? totally agree. Yeah. And in fact, I have an open issue on GitHub if anyone would love to contribute to making that a reality. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, I, I asked our designers at, our, at a Fusionary, and, and I haven't heard back yet. <laughs> Crickets. Yeah. It's, I, I love that when you're working on an OSS project and someone wants something and you're like, well, I'm accepting, accepting PRs. Like, go ahead, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, I know... Um, but yeah, the, let, let's say I'm the, building a front-end app. How do I how do I start? So, Which one? I'm building an app and I'm using Vue in it, right? Maybe I want some custom Vue components, but it's not an SPA. Do I pick the Vue one or do I pick the web one or, or where do I start? You can definitely pick the Vue one. All of the web-based presets like uh, the generic web and the React and the Vue and the Preact, um, they're all built to be able to write SPA, single page apps, as well as multi-page apps. Uh, the multi-page experience uh, does require a little extra step in order to you know, tell Neutrino that you want a particular JavaScript file to be an entry point into uh, like a second page or multiple pages into the app. But yes, that's all possible. So that's... So I think there's there's a difference too between talking about you know a multi entry point multi page app and I think what Andrew is asking about which right. is a server side powered app right. that you really just want to use Neutrino and Webpack for your front end assets. Yeah, so the the way that we're using uh, Craft CMS a lot 
is that it, it's got its own templating language twig. It renders stuff server-side, and it's got all these wonderful CMSE tools. Um, but we're mixing in things like View or React on the front end because it's awesome for lighting up the data once it's there. That's one way. Another way is obviously uh, Craft CMS is headless, and you've got an SPA that talks to it. Um, but I think the majority of the projects that I work on are the former, um, where I need something that does, like I've got a, a gulp setup where I've uh, kind of done a division between the data and the code that executes. So everything's in the package.json and it just kind of works from there. But I need something that will take all my assets, take everything from NPM, build it, minify it, critical CSS, favicons, you know, build all the front end stuff. And then I need a way to load the, the various JavaScript and all that kind of stuff on the front end. And that, uh, for some projects, will in include view components. For others, it won't. Um, and it sounds like the, uh, the, the view target would be appropriate for doing that. Definitely. Uh, I can't say that you would have the best experience in trying to uh, use it like directly out of the box. Um, since like the, the environment is very node specific and it's ex it's expecting you to call you know a CL uh, you know our CLI to be able to launch this process. Oh, that's but fine. I, yeah. yeah, but that said, like Neutrino also exposes uh, an entire API that the CLI itself consumes in order to make this happen. So if you find that you want to you know inject your own uh, you know, build process into this, like you can just call our functions to be able to do the exact same thing the CLI is doing. No, I don't, I don't want to build my own process though. Like I've done that before. What I want to do is I want to take a problem. Like one of the problems that I brought up to Tim was critical CSS. I want to solve that problem. I want to be done with it. And I want to be able to just include that Neutrino config in future projects. Like my, I, what I want to do the least is these build tool things. And I, and I love build tools. Like I'm in them all the time, but I want to solve the problem and I want to be done with it and I want to be able to work on my stuff. And that is why Neutrino has me interested. Is that, yes. is that kind of your so, approach to doing things? Yes. So like you said, you want to be able to solve a problem. Well, somebody has got to be able to solve that problem the first time in order for other people to you know, be able to benefit from that. We've solved several of those problems within Neutrino. We try to bake those into the presets just so people have less work that they need to do up front to be able to get all the nice benefits of it. But, you know, obviously there's always going to be something missing that somebody's going to want. So for the stuff that we haven't specifically solved, we give you the ability to plug in your own middleware to let you solve the problem. You can choose to use it in that project or you can publish it to NPM let your team use it across its projects or let the entire community use it within their projects as well. Yeah. Cause where we're at, uh, Jonathan in this project we're looking at, again, we're, we're either going to use Neutrino or we're going to use Webpack 4. And from our perspective, they're both going to require some learning to get up to speed on the way everything is going to work. But our kind of take on it is, well, Neutrino might be worth it from a long view in other words, we can solve the various problems that we typically have now as middleware. And then when we do our next project, we say, oh, I'm going to take that Lego brick, that Lego brick, this one. I've already solved these problems that I commonly run into. I've written them as middleware for Neutrino. My next config 
is going to that's where I'm going to reap the benefits. And and Jonathan, do you have anything you want to you want to kind of add to this discussion as someone well, who is yeah. evaluating neutrino? Yeah, so that you touched on exactly what I was hoping maybe we could discuss is so this whole idea of sort of having these Lego blocks that you can snap together to facilitate, you know, not having to dive into this um, webpack config that's going to take all this time is very appealing. The the question that I would have is like how many so what happens when I don't have a Lego block that I need? Um, what's involved in, um, in overcoming that problem, in creating it myself or whatever? How does one go about doing this? So like, for example, I don't know if this exists. In almost every project that I have, the last step is after assets get built, they're uploaded to an S3 bucket. So what if there's no Lego for this? How, how does one go about the process of creating your own um, uh creating your own middleware, I guess, for Neutrino, for maybe something that doesn't already exist. What does that look like? So using our other middleware as an example, uh, we do have a specialized format uh, called a Neutrino RC, um, where you can specify in there that a, a li basically an array of all of the middleware that you want to use to build this project. So when you call Neutrino, when you say a, a Neutrino start or Neutrino build, uh, it's going to capture all of this middleware and use that to build the project. Now, this array, uh, normally, you know, when you're just starting a simple project, it's just going to be an array of strings or different things you want to set some metadata about your project. But you can easily just pass a function as another uh, item in this array, and we will give you the Neutrino API to basically say, uh, with the configuration, I want to use this Webpack plugin, or I want to call out to this other tool to upload my assets to S3 after the build is complete. So we expose all the build events. We expose the entire configuration. We let you plug in your own options uh, for when you want to publish this to NPM. So you can say, okay, if you want to throw this up on S3, um, here's some S3 options that you can pass to your middleware. And if anyone uses it, you'll be able to have that as well. So, so then it, I could, assuming you made this thing, this Amazon S3 middleware, I could just go grab it and add it to my, uh, my Neutrino config and I'm going to get it? Yes. And, they, and so the RC file is kind of the... Uh, the all-encompassing project config? Yes. Okay. So I, I, I hate to call it like configuration, which, uh, you know, mostly it's just here's the metadata Neutrino, you know, can use to build your project. It's not completely required. You can use the CLI and pass basically flags to say, okay, dash dash use React sure. and dash dash use Airbnb and dash dash use my S3 uploader. But, you know, obviously, if as you start adding more Lego blocks, you know, you're going to have quite a long, you know, uh, CLI command to trigger this. And the RC file is a way to bring that back down just so you can also share that. So in terms of, uh, to get back to what Jonathan was mentioning. So if, if I want to write my own Amazon S3, I'm essentially going to just create it to the neutrino spec and I'll be exposed to um, the various, uh, are they events or are they functions or what are they in there? So the middleware is specifically a function in the format of the first argument is the Neutrino API object. And the second one is any options you want your middleware to be able to accept. So what, what is the relation between Neutrino middleware 
and your and the preset configs that you have is your like when you create a new web project is that a um collection of middleware or or what what is the relation between middleware and the rest of the stuff that's in neutrino so each of the middleware works by basically doing a mutation on a configuration object that comes along with this neutrino object so when you create a piece of middleware, you get a neutrino argument, and on there is a neutrino.config. Um, and this configuration object is a chainable API allowing you to make any kind of Webpack ch uh, changes you want along the way. So any middleware you use before that will then be making mutations to this configuration before it comes to you. I see. So I'm, I'm just looking from a conceptual level. Sure. The is a so when I do a project create web, am I then just getting a collection of middleware that builds that is that thing? Yes. Okay. Yep. So, then, oh, go, so ahead. go ahead. Uh, it's just like so web itself. I mean, I we call that a preset, but that it is itself a middleware as well. Middlewares can contain middlewares, and I, I think just conceptually, a preset is kind of what you're describing where. You know, it's a collection of middlewares to, uh, you know, achieve a defined task rather than something really granular. Right. And there are some people listening to this that, you know, they're just like, holy crap, like I'm scared. I'm scared <laughs> to death because you're talking about middleware and object and exposing this, that and the other thing. And there's some other people that are like, you know, this is awesome. I can build my own stuff. But the um, the idea really is that anyone can start using the prefab components, but it's going to take some work to make your own middleware and solve your own particular problem, right? But that's not necessarily going to be any more or too much more work than trying to write that custom as a Webpack config anyway, right? Right. So, um, I think what you'll, what you'll find is, um, you know, if, once you start authoring these things, it depends on what your you know your level of comfortability is with Webpack, but you know more often than not, there's already going to be either a loader or a plugin that already exists out there. Right. So, or, or like in our case, there was no critical CSS anything, but you just whipped one up, and it, and it looked right. But, it, but there was like I didn't. I, there was a critical CSS. Oh, uh, well, I'm so much you know. less impressed now. <laughs> yeah. See, all I did was make it work with Neutrino. <laughs> So um, oh, you're yeah. talking about the the critical um, JavaScript from from Addy? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. can't remember if I used that directly or if I used. Uh, I hope you did. It was a Webpack plugin already. I, I can't remember, but um, yeah. So, yeah. so so applying that is really just it, it's it's just a slightly different format to, than what you would do if you were going to plug that plugin like, directly into a Webpack. Config. All I'm really trying to get at here is to not let people be scared off from the terminology, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm building a Webpack config and I've got this critical CSS problem that I need to solve, I'm going to have to write some custom Webpack config in order for that to work. And to do the analogous thing in Neutrino, I'm going to have to build some Neutrino middleware that takes care of that critical CSS problem in a similar way. The difference being it's composable and then in the future, I can just grab that off the shelf thing and use it. And people that are not interested or not able or, or whatever, just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with having to build 
these custom things, the idea is that most of those problems, or at least the most common ones, are already solved, and you just bring them into your your config for Neutrino, right? It, it's not so different conceptually from like having tasks in Gulp and then composing tasks that run other tasks, right? right? Like a, a sort of in terms of of the practical output, it's it's sort of the same. We're we're just accomplishing bigger and bigger conglomerates of, of stuff in our build process. Well, what I'm scared about though, uh, Jonathan, what I'm scared about is that people are going to hear all the jargon, the middleware and this, that, and the other thing. And they're going to be like, Oh my God, like I don't yeah. have any idea what's going on. Yeah. But in a sense it's easier, yeah. right? Because all a middleware means is that you are writing some piece of right. configuration functionality for Webpack, but instead of having to actually write Webpack config, you have this lovely API to do it, right? right? And so, in fact, the use of middleware makes it less intimidating, not more. And, well, and I wouldn't, like, I think when, when you start saying, you know, oh, you have to build this middleware to do this, people maybe are thinking, oh, now I'm going to start a new project and have to do this and figure out how to distribute it and put it into this one. It's really just a function. Right. <laughs> so, like, you know, you don't. You can start by just having it right in your Neutrino RC file. Just well, that, that's why I'm trying to hammer it home because <laughs> I don't want people to get scared off by this, and I think it right. is easy to get lost in the jargon and get scared off about it. So, an, an analogy that I might make is that when you're doing any kind of development, you want to write code that's reusable, right? Like a big thing in the industry is writing dry code. Do not repeat yourself. Whatever we. We just used to call it modularity or whatever, right? So there are a couple, you know, you sit down to solve any problem. You can solve it one way, which is the direct way where I'm solving this specific problem and I can just kind of, you know, pound it out and there, I've solved that problem. Or I can solve the problem in a more abstract way and now I have code that is reusable that I can use somewhere else. And that that's kind of what we're doing with Neutrino, right? I mean, I could just do this in a custom Webpack config Instead, I'm going to think about the problem a little more conceptually, and I'm going to solve it in a modular, dry way so that I can use it in other places. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, this is exactly the reason why uh, we created Neutrino in the first place. Right. You know, it's had such a horrible time just trying to glue together all the pieces I, I wanted for a particular project. And I said, I don't ever want to do that again, yes. just by co copying and pasting this into another project. Yeah. You know, if I need to change something over here, I have to change it over there. And right. it's just not very, you know, maintainable. You know, I want all my projects to be able to move together. You know, we have a lot of web projects at Mozilla and we want to be able to do, uh, build those in a consistent way. And so we needed the tooling to step up to be able to do that stuff for us. Yeah. And, and again, I just want to hammer that home because I want people to start using, using Neutrino. And the reason I want people to start using it or at least evaluating it is that I think it does solve a very important problem that is going to make their lives a whole lot easier. And people get the idea of no matter what kind of coding I'm doing, whether it's HTML or CSS or JavaScript or whatever, we get the idea of dry coding. Like we want to make stuff repeatable. And after we've, we've uh, hammered out custom project, we, we have realized that there are a lot of benefits to doing this in a way that we can write dry code that we can then reuse in our next project. And I just want to make sure that people understand that 
we're solving the same problem, but we're doing it in a reusable way. Uh, go ahead, Eli. Yeah, so that you bring a, up an important point, which is keeping projects dry. Um, and I think that's something that the JavaScript community hasn't really completely latched onto yet with you know the new breed of build tools, which is we see the proliferation of boilerplates and uh, generators like Yeoman, which right. they're really good for getting projects up and running. But once you have that project started, you lose out of the benefit of any upstream changes that make your project better over time. Uh, so, you know, you have things like React uh, uh, Boilerplate or Redux Boilerplate or Create React App. You know, you go to eject the changes from that. And so you're stuck with this object that will no longer be maintained from the source and get all the, the benefits from that in the future. Neutrino also is solving that problem for you as well, because as you know, you want to make changes to your project, you can upgrade the package. Um, and since we're not specifically coupled to your application, you know, we, we just manage the build tool portion of it. You can continue to update your app and continue to update your dependencies and let those move together. So Tim, you've done both. Be honest, real talk here, truth. Yeah. How much more work is it to create a neutrino middleware to solve a particular problem versus just adding it to your webpack config? Like what is um, what is the difference in terms of and, and I realize that um, there's some upfront skill that or upfront work that you're gonna have to do to learn right. it. But if I'm sitting down and I've got uh, this particular problem to solve, whatever it mm -hmm. may be. How much harder is it to write a Neutrino middleware to do it versus just dumping it into my uh, Webpack? And yeah, I realize the sustainability issues, but I'm interested sure, in sure. how much more um, work is it? Yeah, I mean, it, once, you, it, once you're familiar with, you know, the concept of a middleware and, and how you write one, it's, it, it's no, almost no different, almost no harder. Um, so you're saying really, a dummy like I could do it? I think I think a dummy like you could do it just fine. No, like so so really really all all you do when I mean you know when you're just talking about like oh there's this wet webpack plugin I want this in Neutrino I want to make a middleware that uses that. I mean it's just a matter of of you know knowing how to apply that to the the Neutrino configuration object versus you know putting it in an object and then from there it's just a matter of you know, and, and then it'll work just, just like that. But if it doesn't work, when, I'm calling you. When you, but when you when you become more familiar with like some of the neutrino, um, like neutrinoisms, like from from web and everything, like you know, oh, I know that there's going to be a uh, a loader called style, right? So like, you know, you could say, okay, I'm going to do something nice. So if they have a loader called style, I'm going to you know, use that and minify it rather than having them having to tell me every time. So give me some hard numbers though. If it's going to take you an hour to write this in, uh, as a webpack config, how many yeah. hours will it take you to write the same? The, the same, the same thing. Right. So, it's, okay. So you're saying yeah. the, you really just have to learn the neutrino way of doing things. And once you have that framework, kind of six yeah. of one, a half dozen of the other. I mean, if, if we're just talking about, yeah, like the basic, you know, I want to use this loader this already exists webpack versus neutrino it's there's yeah so, i mean a lot of things are going to be easier i think go eli well. go 
Yeah. So I think one thing that, that hasn't really been mentioned is Neutrino's internal configuration API is built on this lower level piece that we call Webpack Chain. And it is essentially a one-to-one -one mapping of Neutrino, uh, I'm sorry, of Webpack's configuration into just a chainable API. So if you're going to say, I want to add a loader to a Webpack configuration, you would do the exact same call in Neutrino, except these are function calls and not just adding things to objects and arrays. So if, if you're familiar with the Webpack configuration, you're going to be familiar with the Neutrino API. The ergonomics are going to be a little bit different, but we use all the same nomenclature. Everything else is the same. We don't change up the, terminol uh, the terminology or the nesting structure at all. It's just how you call those are slightly different. That way, when another piece of middleware comes along and wants to modify it, it knows how to get at it in a deterministic way in the future. All right, so we got some tough questions for yeah. you, Eli. So first of all, Webpack 4, it's on its way here. What happens to my Neutrino configs with Webpack 4? Well, I think that's still, I, it still waits to be seen what's going to happen there. Uh, they, they, going claim to be, they claim they're going to be <laughs> going live with it in under a month. <laughs> yep, I've been following it since day one, trying to keep a hold of it. Yeah. The, the goal is that when Webpack 4 hits, uh, obviously, we'll be working on Neutrino, the next major version of Neutrino before that happens so we can make sure everything works. But the goal is, you know, we'll just push out a new version of Neutrino and a new version of all the packages. And so you can just upgrade those and you'll get Webpack 4 with it for free. But my, my existing Neutrino packages won't necessarily work. Like, I'll, like the config is not going to be compatible is what you're saying. The Neutrino API should stay the same. Obviously, with any major version, there could be breaking changes if right. we find that we can't something map something one to one with Webpack. You know, that's just the way it is with any major version of any software. But we are clear up front about what breaking changes there will be, and so you we can say, hey, uh, Webpack has de uh, deprecated being able to, you know, create the loaders object or whatever, and so we'll say, you know. You, you'll just basically need to migrate from doing it this way to doing it this other way. So you'll have a, a clear path to migrate your configurations, but just like in any software, there's breaking changes and you know sometimes things have to change along with that. So these two are so kind of interconnected yes. that realistically, if I'm going to approach this, I do need to learn Webpack as well as yeah. Neutrino to, to effectively use it. Yes, I or I wouldn't say to effectively use it, but if you want to get into the nitty gritty of being able oh. to make custom modifications and do all these deviations in the future, then yes, you gotcha. will need to have knowledge of Webpack. If you're just wanting to, you know, bang out some React projects or a Node.js library or some React components, you do, you don't necessarily have to ever get into customizing. You could use just everything out of the box and you'll be happy. But if you want to, you know, dive into that low level and be able to customize it the way you want, then yes, there will be a learning curve. You'll have to learn, you know, some webpack isms and a few neutrino isms, you know, but they are tightly coupled. So yeah. for people I, I that are interested in just using this off the shelf, they can ignore 90% of the podcast, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> go ahead, go maybe, ahead, Michael. Maybe I could toss in an analogy because Do like it. Because I come like does it involve I come from, from from Gulp, right? And I think a lot of people listening probably are way more solid with Gulp conceptually than they are with Webpack, right? Well, Gulp, at the end of the day, is just kind of a functional wrapper over 
all of the like command line tools that are underneath, right? right? Your SAS builders, your your JavaScript builders, whatever, right? And so, yeah, you could write a shell script to do these things in sequence on the command line, or you can like use Gulp as a functional wrapper on top of them and build these tasks. Um, or you can take this and um, set it up the way you want and push it out as your own Gulp package, right? And I, it sort of makes sense to me that right. Neutrino is just a functional wrapper over the Webpack config, right? And a middleware is nothing more than some piece of functional logic that you've written that you have decided to distribute uh, or maybe distribute. Um, and so, like, if you are solid on, like, writing gulp tasks, it's sort of the same to just then go write um, uh, neutrino uh, middlewares to to just put a functional layer over it. And so then when the software updates, like that functional API is just being updated in the same way that the config options are being updated. Um, and so you only ever have to know as much about the underlying config as you need to change. Right? And if you want to just pull somebody else's package and use it, then that's cool too. You're making a really good point for people listening. Like the number of people listening that use Gulp it's probably, you know, pretty good. Like it probably a decent number of people use something like that. But the number of people that have actually written um, a gulp task is probably a lot smaller, right? And it's very, or, or yeah, a gulp package, right? Yeah, but the number of people who have needed to is probably small. Well, no, no, but that's the analogy that I'm getting at here. So for people who are scared about what we have talked about in terms of writing your own middleware, this, that, and the other thing, if you use gulp, you know, have you ever written your own your own Gulp tool? You know, probably not. You're just using off-the-shelf ones. And in a similar way, with Neutrino, you're probably not going to need to write your own middleware. You're going to use the stuff that's there. So I, I just kind of want to... I, I don't want to scare people off, you know? And I, I'm trying I think to make it's that really analogy. Parallel. Yeah. And I think if you're comfortable in Gulp, you will find comfort... Um, with Neutrino in sort of exactly the same set of conceptual analogies, the only difference is like Webpack is a true build tool and it sort of is built with all of this knowledge of, you know, what JavaScript looks like in 2018. Yep. And so it sort of is like what we all wanted Gulp to be, you know, two years ago, if we had known what we know now. Um, Don't worry, Gulp 4 and, is coming out in... Like, that's the only difference. But, like, in terms of analogies of, like, <laughs> no, functional no. wrappers over config, like, it's the same. If you if you can do Gulp, then you can do well, Webpack. Well, what I'm trying to get at here, though, is, like, I've used Gulp extensively. I've written, you know, uh, a really nice methodology for separating the, separating the package from the, the build process. I've done all this stuff with Gulp, and I've used it quite extensively. I have never in my life written a Gulp plugin. Like I just haven't needed to, right? Because I can just, uh, there are off the shelf plugins that do the majority of what I want to do. And I can add a little bit of stuff in my tasks and then away we go. And I think for the average person with Neutrino, it's going to be the same thing. Like you're going to be able to use Neutrino, just use the off the shelf middleware and don't be scared about some of the stuff we're talking about, about, you know, having to write your own custom middleware and yada, 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 because you're probably not going to have to do it. Um, but I do think that it would be more friendly, Eli, if we called these things um, neutrino Legos. <laughs> right? I think, 
you know? I'm sure I won't be sued at all for that. <laughs> all right, but let me, I got another tough question for you. Um, why would I use Neutrino in, in lieu of a tool like Laravel Mix? Like Mix is kind of doing the same thing, right? It's kind of a layer on top of uh, Webpack to make, you know, kind of instant configurations easier. What does what does Neutrino bring to the the party that we don't get with Laravel Mix, or do they have kind of a different mindset about how they're approaching stuff? Well, I'm hoping somebody that knows anything about Laravel Mix can hop in here and answer this question for me. Okay, so that goes. Um, Go ahead, Tim. I'd Tim's like to hear somebody that it's it's that similar, it, but um, I think it's I, more Duplos. I, I'm familiar with it. I've never actually used it, but I have looked at it, and from what I can tell, yeah, it's 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 the same, it's the same idea. But from what I've seen, I'm probably going to make a lot of people really mad. It seemed like it was just kind of uh, webpack for kids. That, <laughs> like, no, I think that's accurate, and, and, and that's what and Patrick it, said. And, and, and also, in in, in in doing that, it was very opinionated. It's right. you know, oh, you you it has a dot scss method and a dot this, and so it's it's really easy. You know, I mean, it, but it's well. I think it, Patrick more, made the the perfect analogy. Like the uh, mix is more like Duplo blocks. Like the, <laughs> yeah. the blocks are yeah. mu- they're much bigger. And I, don't, they, they I don't know that we need to insult all of the Laravel users. <laughs> no, that, it's uh, not. Ins- that, it's it's not ins- <laughs> is it specific it's, to PHP it, projects? It's, no, no, no. It's, it's nah, conceptually no, it's just, the same. It's just a Laravel it is a, I mean, it's a It is a fluent thing. API wrapper. It's, right. it's an API wrapper around Webpack. And it's probably, it's more opinionated. Very, than very much so more Neutrino opinionated. Is. Yeah. Um, and it sort of, is, is seems to be opinionated um, from my I use it only limitedly, but it seems to be opinionated in the uh, direction of a sort of eighty percent Laravel project, right. right? Like, what do most Laravel right, projects yeah. need out of Webpack, and you know, what's right. a nice API to tweak things? And, and that's on what top it does. It exposes so, the most so common things that they're going to need. It is, Exactly the same. It's a fluent API wrapper on top of Webpack in the same way that Neutrino is a functional API wrapper on top of Webpack. But yeah, for, and from what I've seen, though, it's like, um, you know, it does similarly, it exposes, you know, the, the Webpack config if you need to get into the hairy bits, but I don't think it really has the, the same goal of these configurations being no. distributable and... and uh, so my experience with, with Laravel Mix is that it exposes and makes it really easy for the most common tasks that you're going to need out of Webpack, and it makes it super easy to do those. The majority of the time, ironically, a lot of the times that I've worked with Mix, it is from clients that they just want to get something up and running quickly. They use Mix to do it, but they found that it didn't scale very well in terms of performance and in terms of doing some very specific things. So I was called in to tear apart the uh, mix setup and replace it with something that would be more performant and more custom. So I think it's very well suited for getting a project bootstrapped. And for simple projects, it may be all that you'll ever need. But for anything that really needs to scale, it can kind of, you know, show its... uh, 
show some cracks in the armor there in terms of. Yeah, I, I don't know works. if the problem is scale just so much as as what you need out of it, right? Because like Mix, I think sort of wants to make Webpack behave like Gulp. Right. Yeah. So, sort yeah, of. That's, yeah. Right. That's it's like, it wants you to think in terms of really discrete tasks and like pipelines of steps and here's pipelines. My CSS, here's my right? JavaScript. And and Neutrino isn't constrained in that way. Um, and so I think Mix really does solve a lot of great need if what you need is sort of that discrete yes. pipeline of of build steps. And if you're building a more complex application, especially an application that, that spans both front end and, and back end um, in terms of its build process, then you probably need something less opinionated and and more flexible. Yeah, but so, I don't well, think there's anything there's, unscalable about Mix. It's just that it, it has a different philosophy. I, th I think that's where a lot of similar projects to Neutrino kind of get it wrong in that, you know, they want to be this abstraction layer on top of Webpack. Right. But at the end of the day, if you're just going to say, if you want to get really low level, we'll pass you this Webpack configuration that you're just going to modify, you're going to be back in the exact same situation in right. that you have to dig through this object to find the pieces that you want to change. It's not deterministic, and so you're just going to be back in the the same situation. And, and you're back you to cutting to... and pasting. Yes, <laughs> you know, I mean that, you, that that is really the thing. And I I wasn't bagging on Mix at all because I mean what we're really saying is the right tool for the job, right? And for some jobs, Mix is perfect. I can just spin it up real quick. It just works, and kind of away we go. Um, but what I'm looking at with uh, exploring Neutrino is I want something that not only lets me build the thing that I want to build, but lets me solve the problem once and then just continue using that already solved problem down the road. I mean, that is where this thing looks super appealing to me because there's nothing more annoying in computer science or anything than having to solve the same damn problem over and over again. I mean, it's just awful, you know? So I think one thing that, that Mix kind of does have on Neutrino is really just the fact that it's a Laravel product. And so a lot of people using it and a lot of the guides are for uh, targeted towards a server side app right. running, you know, these, these Webpack apps. That's so, true. and that's something that I think, you know, like, like I've done a lot of work to make Neutrino be able to behave in that environment. Mm -hmm. So I think I, it's kind of probably on me a little to share how to get that done because you know, when you're building these front end assets, it's always going to be specific to the, uh, you know, the server side app that you're including it and how you do that. So, you know, if you're, if you have a gulp task and you generate a bunch of things, you know, you're going to need a manifest JSON or something to be able to know how to include that stuff in your templates. Mm -hmm. And that's always going to be, you know, specific to whatever platform you're using. So, I think I just, I think Neutrino itself needs some more, you know, just guides in how to do that. And since I, I've so why done aren't you sharing a bit of that, I think, I think I need to share that a little. Yeah, Tim, it'd be great why to see like the, uh, the Neutrino equivalent of Laracast. That's one of the things that I love about the Laravel <laughs> community is uh, um, the high quality of the the screencasts they do. I'd love to see some of those for Neutrino. And, you know, for this audience, um, on a server side app would be even more interesting. But yeah, I've been. 
dying for a while for somebody to step forward that has the chops and creating screencasts to definitely help us with that. Because, you know, obviously, if we're spending a bunch of time just trying to maintain the library, there's not a lot of time for marketing and oh, yeah. promotion and, you know, tutorials and whatnot. Well, Tim, didn't you learn anything when you were a kid? If we're playing with Legos, you got to share. <laughs> They're all in a sealed box, man. <laughs> you can't come over. I just share. But I, I, today, I'm a craft developer. I want to yep. build one of these things. Mm-hmm. I, I can just start using Neutrino today, right? So, yeah, I mean, you can. Put it in your project. The first thing that you're going to run into is great. It built all these assets yep. in my public directory, yep. and I have no idea how to include them in my project. That's the first thing you're going to run into because they're all hashed, mm. you know, as, as they should be. That there's a reason for that. It um, builds a manifest file for me, though, so, right? So it, it yeah, it does. Okay. There's a plugin for that. Um, so exactly, yeah. So that and this is the kind of thing that. You know, I need to share. So, so you, yeah, you plugin. need to have a you need to have a plugin that reads the manifest and spits out the the hashed file. So, like, yeah, there's a couple the of those things. that exist, though. There are, yeah. It's yeah. just you know, I think somebody's thinking, oh, great, I can you know start using it right away. That's going to be their first first thing they hit. Yeah, I mean, some people were using that same schema when they're using Gulp or just Webpack, right? They they still were using a manifest file. Uh, right, for all of yeah. these things, these assets no, that yeah, were that's, spit I think, out. So. That's a common thing. So, I mean, that's yeah. probably not going to be far off for people. But yeah. So what other problems I, am I going to have trying to get this to work in my craft project? Um, it's really just a matter of uh, configuration. Like, I mean, there there are options that you're going to need to pass. Like, so. But I know, thought I wasn't like, supposed to have to configure anything. What happened? Well, <laughs> options. Come on. <laughs> let let, let right. me say this specifically. Neutrino has never branded itself as a zero configuration tool, only <laughs> as a zero initial configuration. Uh, <laughs> I see. Okay. So, right. Andrew, for for uh, for example, yep. The, the first thing you're going to do probably is say, okay, I'm going to use web, right? So I'm going to use Neutrino preset web. Yep. And or view. I might probably would be or using view, view, whatever. Web. Sure. Um, and the first thing you're going to do is there's an option now called I think it's just called HTML. True or false, and you're going to say false because that that's saying that you know I don't want Webpack to generate my HTML. I have a server side app doing that. Okay. So you're going to say false, and then you're probably also going to have to pass a proxy URL because, like, so so when you're in development and you're you know live reloading and having these things, you know, on a port, you're going to need to proxy your server side app. Right. So right now it's down to the, those two things and you'd, you'd be up and running. Do you have, or does anyone have a simple public project available that some, that works? Public, of course not, <laughs> but I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll put something together, huh? Unbelievable. I know. Right. I feel very, like, I feel like you're being very selfish with your toys. I think, I think you heard so. it here, folks released this afternoon. <laughs> coming this afternoon to a GitHub near you. Yep. But let, let's. Well, you know what? Yeah. You know what I should do? I should. Um. I should take like their. Uh, Pixel and Tonics, Happy Logger or whatever their their demo site. Yes. And, and make a Neutrino fork of it. Yes. Show, show people how to do it. Exactly. Would you like that, Andrew? I would like that. Okay. So, so I'll put I'd, it on my list. Eli. I'll say something here because. 
like hearing these kind of problems is not something that I typically have to deal with. And obviously these are uh, pitfalls in neutrino that can be solved eventually. And people like Tim definitely make the whole situation better. If but the shares. kind of projects, what's that? Sorry. If he shares. Yeah, true. <laughs> I, the kind of projects I work on, like they are never bundled in with a server. They're always, you know, uh, thick client architectures where the only servers we're interacting with are like via rest or graphql or whatnot so mm -hmm. we don't it's use oil. a server yeah we don't use a server to include these things you know we just you know throw them up somewhere for static serving and we just make calls to whatever services we need in order to be able to do this stuff right. so yeah the, these kind of things help outline where we could probably improve the developer experience. Now, and then the exception to that, I think, is uh, if it is a node server that, that's, you know, coupled with the app, then you can use Neutrino to actually build that, right? Which is kind of a cool aside. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's another thing. Like uh, a lot of projects like Parcel and whatnot, they, everyone feels like they're focused specifically on being able to build web apps, but Neutrino is not limited to that. We specifically say any kind of JS project, whether that be a web app, if you want to distribute some React components, if you want to you know, create a node library or a node app, we can do all of that. Anything that Webpack has the power to do, we, we can do that. We have uh, stuff in the work for web extensions, and you know, these, are, these are all completely possible. So, Jonathan, after hearing all this discussion, like, do you have any thoughts or questions that you uh, that you want to put out there? I mean, I think that this is. Um, I'm glad that we got into the discussion about how this compares with a tool like um, Laravel Mix because there could be the tendency to view it as like, oh, well, you know, I don't really understand everything that Webpack's about. I don't really know how to use it. I'm just going to use this tool because it'll just let me skirt that and I can still use Webpack without really understanding it. It does seem like that the real value in it is going to be if you already have an understanding of Webpack and the problem that it's trying to solve is not Webpack's too confusing. Is it going to make it easier? The problem is, like you said, repeating yourself over and over right. project after project, having to deal with all of these, you know, this, this Webpack config time and time again. It's not, it's not, um, it's not, it's aimed to make Webpack easier for you. It's to make the configuration easier for you. And so I appreciated that distinction. Yeah. If you're an engineer, really good engineers are lazy and we want to solve the problem really, really, really well once. And then we never want to see that damn problem ever again, you know? Yeah. And, and I that, also and, think and the that's discussion a really good... about like using Gulp. I mean, I I like everyone else here. I've used Gulp for years. I've never once written um, a Gulp plugin. I've right. never once written a loader for Webpack or a Webpack plugin. Right. And so, if it's kind of, if it's still kind of a matter of you're just really essentially writing a wrapper around existing Webpack plugins, and this is a, essentially what it takes to get it incorporated into into Neutrino. Yep. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there is value also. To making Webpack easier, um, you know, like I don't know, I learned JavaScript from jQuery, right? Like um, there was a nice API, and I could use it easily, more easily than I could use the underlying thing. But by using it, I eventually did absorb knowledge about the underlying thing, and I, you know, I think that some people will find Webpack uh, easier to use. They'll find the learning curve to be 
not as bad um, because of this really nice functional API. And I think that, that the more you use it, the more you will just absorb about Webpack's internals. And, and that's cool. That's good for Webpack. How about, how about you, Patrick? Do you have any kind of uh, questions or, or, or thoughts of, about this discussion? I know it's kind of a lot to take in, but. I'm just waiting on Tim's screencast, man. <laughs> hey, I, I didn't say anything about a screencast. I no, a I, I, I want to. No, you did. Repo. That's it. You did. You said you were going to have it out this afternoon. I heard you. Everybody else, <laughs> just sit hear down. That when you said that, screen recording, you'll be done in an hour. <laughs> but I think I think something Jonathan said, and I we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up soon. I think this has been a, a fantastic discussion. But I think something Jonathan said is is really really important. That Neutrino isn't really about necessarily making Webpack easier. Um, Neutrino is about, uh, or at least my understanding is that it's about making it, uh, you know, reusable, composable configs that we can use over and over again. Whereas Laravel Mix really is more kind of focused on making Webpack easier, right? So they, even though they're kind of in the same realm, they're kind of uh, approaching it from a different angle. Right. If I just want to bootstrap something, I want to get it up quick. I've got a Laravel project. I'm going to throw a mix in there. It's going to build my stuff for me. Away we go. Um, if I am working on a project and I want to solve a particular build step, I can use Neutrino and I can solve that problem or use existing problems. Or, or sorry, <laughs> not existing problems. I got enough problems already. Use existing middleware or in our in uh, Neutrino parlance, Neutrino Legos. Right. And I can just take those and I can snap them together and use it. But they're kind of solving two different problems. One is uh, reusability, and, or it's really focused on that. Um, and the other is um, more focused on just bootstrapping and getting you up and running quickly. Does that sound sort of reasonable, Eli? You're the lead, man. So tell me where I'm wrong. I No, I think that's all reasonable. I, one thing I don't want to paint Neutrino in the corner is that you know we're not necessarily trying to solve the the ease of use case. I mean, we definitely are. That's that's our initial target. Is like you don't have to do any initial configuration. And for the you know the eighty twenty rule, eighty percent of people using this will probably say, "Hey, the functionality I get out of the box is just fine. I don't need to make any kind of changes." But it's taking that next step to the twenty percent when you do have to make changes right. that you're not going to sacrifice you know having a black boxed configuration or you know a completely inergonomic tool to be able to do that you have to make some trade offs obviously in in time or learning how to do some configuration but you know we it's not going to limit you in the long run you don't have to sacrifice there right and i think that's a problem with a lot of technologies is they they are easy to use for the first eighty percent, but then after that, you just fall off a cliff. You know, and you have you have to throw it out and do something much more low level. Yeah. Well, this has been a fantastic discussion, gentlemen. I think uh, we're going to wrap it up here, but we may need to have you guys on again at some point. Um, I'd be glad to. <laughs> yeah. But that, that about wraps it up for another episode of the DevMode.fm podcast. To have every episode delivered to your favorite podcast player, subscribe to our RSS feed or subscribe via iTunes or Google Play. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a review. It actually makes a, a big difference if you would take the time to do that. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at devmode.fm. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Um, leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. I'm Jonathan Noble. I'm Michael Rogg.
And we had Tim. Bye. Hi. <laughs> and Eli <laughs> from Neutrino. Thank you. Thank you very much yeah, for having please. me. If you have any questions, feel free to visit neutrino.js.org. Visit our Spectrum channel. If you have questions, um, we'd always appreciate having anybody in the community, whether that's working on docs or screencasts, whatever it happens to be, we'd welcome you. Michael, did you sign off yet? Bye-bye. Uh, Bye-bye. Thank you.